Welcome to Courage in Healthcare, a podcast sponsored by Maxworth Consultant Group. I'm your host, Kyle Worthy. In this two-part episode, we speak with Dr. Arun Idlaka, a pulmonologist based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Arun and his wife, Karen, met as medical students at CMC Ludhiana in India. In 1987, with a baby on the way, they made the decision to move to the United States. In part one of this episode, we will learn about the circumstances that led to this decision and the challenges they would face as they reestablished their medical careers in unfamiliar territory. This move required the Adlakas to leave their families and defy the plans that had been made for them. Their story reminds us of the courage it takes to commit to a calling in the face of adversity. Thank you for being with us here today, Dr. Adlaka. Uh, let's start with your road to practicing medicine here in the United States. Was it always your dream to practice medicine? Well, I, to be honest, I wasn't very keen in practicing medicine when it all started, but uh, my mother surely was. <laughs> she was um, overly driven to have you know, one of her four sons become a doctor of medicine. And the older two didn't oblige. They very quickly and early on in life went into Indian Army. And the third one uh, went into engineering field. So obviously, uh, there wouldn't have been any option left. And I many times joke to people that while growing in the four walls of the uterus, (laughs) I could clearly hear her voice rippling through the uh, amniotic fluid all around me. Uh, professing to her friends on multiple occasions that this child will have no option <laughs> but to become become an MD. And now, interestingly, we know that uh, fetus can hear mm. uh, his mother and remember those thoughts. So that's wow. interesting. But um, that's how it all started. And right from the beginning, I was being groomed by her mm. for the medical field. My schools, my colleges, my friends were all handpicked by her so that I always stayed on track and uh, never uh, derailed. Um, Even when I was in a boarding school, about 100 miles away from her, I never knew that she had her spies always watching me and my movements and reporting to her my activities. Um, And I remember uh, she had my poor older brother who had just returned from honeymoon Mm. to take care of me for full two years so that I could stay with him and do extremely well in my undergraduate studies uh, before I entered medical school. And, uh, you know, nobody could say no to her, nor the poor soul uh, who had just got married and his sister and his wife or me. So uh, I was with them in my teenage years for two years, all as per uh, uh, mother's orders. There were two professions that I think I may have gone to. The first one was uh, cricket. Hmm. And when I was in school, I started becoming very good uh, at playing at it. And it's a very popular game played in the Commonwealth countries because the Britishers took this game to all those countries. Mm-hmm. It's as popular as, um, as basketball in UNC and Duke, meaning to India, it's like a religion. Sure. Yeah. And so I started to get very good at it as an all-rounder, reached the regional um, um, cricket and then was being contemplated for national cricket when her spies uh, (laughs) informed her. And so she came down 100 miles, um, made that uh, distance and told my coach that uh, 
this child is not going to be pursuing cricket anymore because he's going to be a doctor mm. and that she should replace me with another deserving uh, all-rounder. So that was the end of the, the uh, cricket dream. Uh, second one was um, I was, used to dream about being an actor mm. and Bollywood is um, the second richest movie industry in the world after Hollywood and makes the maximum number of movies in the world every year. And it's based in Mumbai, mm -hmm. uh, which is on the western coast of India. And uh, I was vacationing with my elder brother there and I met his friend who was in close proximity to the actors and directors and shooting of the movies. And so I got really enchanted by it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to then try my hand at acting. So I come back from the vacation, back to my medical training, and I quietly audition for a role. And at the appropriate time, uh, I disappeared uh, from my <laughs> medical training, and I was in Mumbai. Nobody knew where I was, and I was just gone into thin air. And I began to get into the acting groove and started doing my roles, and uh, that's by the time mother figured out where I probably was. And sure enough, through my brother and his friend, and I was whisked back <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to the medical arena. So those were the two professions uh, that I wanted to pursue at that mm -hmm. time, uh, you know, at that age, seriously, but they were not meant to be. And finally, just I had to quit dreaming and face the reality that I was meant to be an actor mm -hmm. and uh, nothing else. And uh, I think mother was the instrument chosen to make it happen, and she surely did. So tell us about your decision to move to America. Well, um, once I finished my undergraduate degree, uh, which I was, as I told you, I was uh, uh, with my brother for two years, I applied to various medical schools mm -hmm. and uh, got into three or four of them. Mm -hmm. But I think destiny had to bring me to a particular medical school, and that was called CMC, which is Christian Medical College, in an industrial city in a state, uh, Punjab, and the mm. city's name is Ludhiana. And Lady Elizabeth Brown, a surgeon from England, in late 19th century opened this missionary medical mm. school there. And that's the one I joined, mm. uh, even though my poor father had to commute half of his pension wow. to pay the fees because it was so expensive. Wow. But as I told you, destiny has mm. its own plan. I had to join CMC now that I look back at my life was for one sole reason, and that was to meet my wife, mm. Kiran. She was my classmate at that time, and she was going to shape my future <laughs> forever by becoming my life partner and soulmate. Mm. So I tell people that medical education at CMC was icing on the cake, and the cake was Kiran. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, also, I think there were two events that happened in the year 1984, very mm -hmm. soon after marriage, that may have played a role for coming to America and affecting mm -hmm. the decision, particularly for Kiran and her family. First was when just a few months after our marriage, which we were married in January of 84, we had to urgently move out of Ludhiana to New Delhi, which is the capital of India, cause of serious terrorist threats hmm. in Punjab at that time. They wanted a separate homeland, and they were also not happy about Karen and my, our uh, interfaith, interculture uh, uh, wedding, actually. They, they, we we uh, had received uh, um, 
information from them that threatening us with dire consequences. So we had to really very fast move from Ludhiana to New Delhi to to sort of save ourselves and 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 not be in their eye. Um, her oldest sister that time, Doctor and Doctor Mrs. Boparai, you know, they became our angels and they gave us shelter in their house in New Delhi for where we then lived for the next year and a half or so till the terror situation in Punjab um, calmed down and soothed and we could safely go back uh, to CMC Ludhiana. Another, um, uh, uh, I would say, disturbing event that happened was in the fall of 1984 while we were residing in New Delhi uh, with um, Dr. and Mrs. Boparai, an unthinkable national catastrophe happened when our Prime Minister Indra Gandhi was assassinated mm-hmm. by one of our Sikh bodyguards in broad daylight. Wow. She was actually walking to give a live TV interview to Reuters. And uh, he turned around and, and killed her. Within hours, there was deadly backlash against mm-hmm. all Sikhs in India. And in large numbers, mm-hmm. they were being hurt and killed. Mobs were attacking them all over the country. And so one of the nights, while staying with the Dr. and Mrs. Boparai, we were all eating dinner. And when the servants came running and said, there's a mob coming this way. Mm-hmm. We could hear loud voices and uh, we could hear them. And this was uh, uh, surprising and amazing because this was daily army area, military cantonment. And their aim was to come towards our, our house because my brother-in-law is a Sikh to, uh, to hurt us and burn the house down. So my wife, my sister-in-law, and her three daughters, they jumped the walls, fell in the ditches, and ran across the street to take shelter in the brigadier's house, uh, who immediately called the military police for help. Mm-hmm. And I was outside the house looking around. I could see the mob coming. And then my brother-in-law came out of the house. He had a gun in his hand, and he gave me one uh, to said, mm-hmm. and said, shoot at anyone who physically harms us. Um, that was the first time I ever held a gun. Mm. And we could hear the mob getting closer and closer. And they had knives, they had machetes, and they had all these burning sticks in their hands. And they were shouting, kill all the Sikhs. But we were lucky we didn't have to fire any shot as just then the military police arrived mm. and the mob dispersed and uh, ran away. This matter was taken up at the highest level of the Indian Army as the mob tried to do physical harm, A, in the New Delhi military area, and B, to one of the highest-ranked Indian Army Sikh general, my brother-in-law, who was of the air marshal status and was an internationally renowned orbital surgeon. So I think those two events may have also played a, a part in uh, Karen and the family's decision of maybe moving, if possible, to move mm. out of uh, India. Karen's two older sisters had been residing in USA since mid-1970s. And Dr. Mrs. Gill, pediatrician in Shreveport, also trained at CMC Ludhiana, had sponsored Karen to move to USA with a permanent uh, resident alien card, what we used to call green card, in the year 1980. The, the quota from India was cut down significantly, so our position was not moving at all. Mm. Um, and we are talking about 86, 87, yeah. eight time. So we had pretty much resigned to the idea that there's strong possibility we may stay on and, and settle in India. But I think someone else's destiny was going to bring us to USA. 
Um, in the fall of 86, we received wonderful news about Kiran's pregnancy. Just then, out of nowhere, the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi called us and said, your green cards are ready. And this is after not hearing from them for years. And they said, are you ready to move to USA? And I think the little one had to be born in USA. So, I, so five months before Natasha was to be born, uh, we touched the uh, U.S. soil. Mm. Now, I had to approach my parents and, mm. and tell them that I, Karen and all, will be moving to USA. So my parents, especially my mother, they were very devastated because they were planning to settle in India and for me, with them, and they were planning for me to settle in India and for them to live with us because in India we don't have much of nursing homes or, or assisted living. So parents live with you, okay. particularly in time of need. So that made me very sad because I would be leaving them behind and all my family members behind. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any relations residing in USA, unlike Karen. So I remember it was with a very heavy heart that I had to bid goodbye to, to my mm -hmm. parents mm -hmm. and my brothers and my sister-in-laws and all my friends and colleagues. And I saw for the first time my father cry. And uh, I remember landing in U.S. with that image deeply etched in my memory of him crying and then me saying to myself, will I ever see them again? Did I let them down? Wow. Well, tell us a little bit more, Dr. Adlaka, about those early days and what you had to or how you were feeling about what you had to sacrifice in order to be here. Well, um, Kieran uh, was pregnant with Natasha when we arrived in USA. Mm -hmm. So we first stayed in Connecticut with her older sister and then finally moved to Shreveport, mm -hmm. Louisiana, to stay with Dr. and Dr. Mrs. Gill. We had no job, no money. Uh, Kieran and me were allowed each about $35 each to bring to USA. Um, they took care of every need of ours, including all the medical care that Kieran duly required. And obviously, Natasha, once she was born, that added on to the expenditure mm -hmm. uh, in a big way. So I was feeling very indebted and embarrassed. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're in your in-law's place and you have no job, you have no, no earnings, and, you know, and, and, and they are uh, spending so much on you. So I started getting desperate after about six months or so to find a job. So I called Dr. William Robinson. He's a leading medical oncologist from University of Colorado Health Sciences Center, Denver, who is world-renowned in chronic leukemias and malignant melanoma. And he used to visit CMC Ludhiana as a missionary mm. since 70s mm. uh, to treat cancer patients there. And while I was there, I got to know him very well at, uh, during his visits and he assisted me in writing my thesis mm -hmm. in breast cancer, uh, which every candidate has to do before giving your boards mm -hmm. in internal medicine right. back home in India. So he helped me in that. And so I called him and I sort of discussed with him my situation and Natasha born. And so he took pity on me and he offered me a salary of $1,000 a month for one of the research projects that he was doing for mm -hmm. melanoma at the time. And I immediately accepted it, and uh, I moved to Denver. Um, Kieran and Natasha obviously didn't join me. They stayed back, one, because Natasha was too small and needed a lot of nurturing and supervision, mm -hmm. 
plus we wouldn't have been able to survive mm. on that petty uh, stipend. I think that time in Denver, which was about a year, year plus, I was all alone. That mm. probably was one of the most difficult times and trying times uh, for me. Mm. Um, I didn't know anyone at all. I had no family members of mine in USA at all. The pace of life and culture was very different. I was missing my family back in India terribly. Mm. I wasn't happy with the idea that I had to give multiple entrance exams as a foreign graduate and then redo my residency training right. all over in internal medicine. I was also missing Kiran and Natasha very much. Mm. I remember that time I used to listen to Natasha's breathing, mm. her yawning, her wow. crying, uh, her baby sounds on the phone. Kiran used to put uh, her on the phone and I used to listen to the voices. Or the tapes used to be sent to me and I used to listen to the tapes so I could, I could hear her. Um, there were several times that I wanted to fly back in, to India and I felt guilty of right. letting my parents down because they had sacrificed their dreams and money and hopes and emotions and here I was in USA because they thought I'll become a doctor and they'll settle down in India. I, that, uh, me and Kiran will settle down in India and take care of them mm. at the time of need. So all these thoughts, I think, were gnawing me from inside and creating intense um, internal turmoil. I, I was all alone. My family in India also were missing me. And during one of the times when my father's health was a little off, I used that opportunity to fly back home. I probably shouldn't have done that because then it became difficult to come back to USA because I was, again, in a very safe and protected environment where I always wanted to be. Now, Kiran has known me since I was 17, and she also is a very intuitive person. So she could very quickly sense my feelings, my intentions, my hesitations right away. And uh, I'm glad she called me multiple times because she woke me up to my <laughs> responsibility to her and the little one before anything else. So now I had all this tussle because on one side there were my parents and my brothers and my friends in India and a very family-oriented culture, mm -hmm. my comfort zone and no more education I had to do. On the other side, I had two of the most precious people, Karen, Natasha, her family. And then I had USA, lack of familiarity, a very tough system on your own lifestyle, with individual-oriented culture, exams, mm -hmm. redo training. So this was making me feel helpless as to now what should I do. I remember I cried a lot and I prayed a lot, conversed with my family a lot. And I think it was that repeated images of Natasha's little face and the laughter and the crying that would keep jogging my memory. That's when I started to say to myself, I couldn't walk away from the two most precious people life had brought me to. Mm. That there must be a deep reason behind all this and I'm sure God has a plan, and God had a plan. So I said to myself, I need to give it a chance and let it all evolve. So I booked my ticket to USA, flew back to Kiran and Natasha, despite all those uncertainties about the other things that U.S. had to offer at the time. Hmm. Now, when were you certain that being in the United States was the right thing for you and your family? Well, once I uh, bought my tickets uh, from India to come back to U.S., um, I, uh, I was back in Denver again. 
uh, working with Dr. Robinson. Um, Kiran and Natasha then joined uh, at that time. So this is about a year, year and a half um, into uh, being me alone in Denver. That, I think, made a big difference. That gave a new meaning to my life. And seeing Natasha grow was therapy for me. Seeing her play, seeing her laugh, seeing her make faces, sleep, feel her soft feet and cheeks, the baby smell, hear her breathe while sleeping, carry her, walk her in the stroller. All those interactions with the little one had a tremendous positive effect on me uh, and my thinking. And I think it started to relax me. I started to then settle down to life in U.S., started to make friends, uh, especially with my American co-workers in the department. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, I think, was a big achievement. Kieran also then luckily bagged a job in pathology research, which helped us in different ways to assimilate into the new life um, in the U.S., mm. I remember um, we celebrated Natasha's uh, second birthday in Denver, and she obviously was a lot more interactive and mischievous and talkative. One morning, while walking to my work, I look up at my apartment, which was on the fourth floor, and I saw Natasha out on the little patio with my stethoscope dangling around her hmm. neck, and that stethoscope was literally as long as her, uh, waving bye-bye to me. I think that image was, I think, uh, like a life-changing image for me because that shook me, that jarred me from my slumber, my, you know, my lack of decisiveness, my fears of unknown, uh, you know, my inertia, my double-mindedness. And I said to myself, what in the name of God am I doing to myself and Kiran and Natasha? Because people would give their arm and leg to come to USA. Uh, I need to accept the challenge and, and make it in U.S. I need to trust in myself and my capabilities. And I need to give little Natasha an opportunity to make it here. Because her destiny has brought us here. God has a plan. My destiny is intertwined with hers. And there is no going back from here on. We have to follow the God's plan. So I took a 180 degrees turn soon took all the few exams that were left, started my first year residency in Chattanooga, got picked up next year to continue my further training at Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. And then very soon, Kiran also got an opportunity at Mayo Clinic to do her pathology mm -hmm. training. So I think that Natasha's image and her growing up, I think, was the main event that made me look into myself and, and, and make those changes. Well, Dr. Laka, can you tell us a little bit more about the individuals uh, that were most instrumental in helping you establish yourself in America? Without a doubt, I think Dr. and Dr. Mrs. Gill, Kiran's older sister and her brother-in-law, former is a pediatrician and latter is a cardiothoracic surgeon, settled in Shreveport, Louisiana since 1978. And both are also trained from the same medical school, the same missionary medical school, okay. Christian Medical College, Ludhiana, of course, many years before us. Kiran, I think Natasha and me, we cannot even fathom the amount of help, guidance, support, money they have constantly and consistently mm -hmm. given to us at all times. 
I was thinking the other day and I was just in my own mind sort of making a list of some of the things that they have done. And I, the list is so long, but just to name a few, um, to start with sponsorship to USA mm. with green card, putting us up in their house with us having no job, no earnings, fulfilling every need of our while we stayed with them in Shreveport, Kiran's prenatal checkups, Kiran's delivery, taking care of post-delivery medical issues. When Natasha was born, every penny for her milk, her food, her clothes, mm. her medical checkups, payments for some of my flights that I took within U.S. for certain courses and for interviews for my residencies. She saw that we would walk in Denver. Well, once Kiran and Natasha joined me, I had, we had, I had no car. So I would, we would walk to grocery, we'd walk to Pizza Hut, walk to mm-hmm. McDonald's. So she felt terrible. And she surprised me by sending a down payment of my first car to a Corolla and started paying the monthly payments. Wow. Um, donated their car. Um, umpty number of clothes and gifts all through the years for Natasha in particular, Karen and myself. Monetary support whenever needed, no questions asked, no pressure to return the money. Mm. Natasha's upbringing, Natasha's engagement ceremony, and then several other benevolent deeds, which probably I may have forgotten and would keep adding on to the list. But I think without their active support, we would not be in U.S. at all to begin with, as all three of us would not have made it to where we are today in our respective lives. They have been, uh, I always say, our lighthouse, our rock, mm-hmm. you know, our peace in the storm. Uh, what makes it even more unbelievable is that they are still doing all of this despite their own setbacks and disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say God bless them both as they have been everyone's angels. The Gill family experienced a series of medical emergencies in the 90s. In part two of this episode, Dr. Ilaka tells us about these events and how he was able to repay the Gill's kindness by helping them through this trying time. As Dr. Ilaka looks back on his life, he can see the lasting impact of his courage. Only by remaining in America was he able to help the Gills and pave the way for his daughter's future success. He believes if we all take a step back, we would see that our struggles have a purpose and they oftentimes put us on a path that will lead to a greater good for those around us. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Join us next time to hear the conclusion of our conversation with Dr. Edlaka.